The views expressed by guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of their organization. Welcome to the Enterprise Knowledge Cast, a look into the world of knowledge management, information management, data management, and everything in between. Brought to you by Enterprise Knowledge. I'm Zach Wall, founder and CEO of Enterprise Knowledge. Today, we're speaking with Stacy Young, Agency Knowledge Management and Organizational Learning Officer. That is quite a title, Stacy. Thank you for being here and welcome. Uh, it, it's a pleasure to be here. It is quite a mouthful, so feel free to shorten as you see fit. No, that's great, Stacey. Uh, again, really appreciate you being here. Why don't we lead off just by uh, you sharing a little bit about what your role is, what that big, long title actually means? Sure. Yeah, thank you. Um, so it's a new role, not only for me, but also for USAID. Uh, it was established at the end of last year. It is essentially a chief knowledge officer position, and it came out of a process within USAID that has entailed a great deal of transformation across a number of efforts and work streams within the agency, all in the service of making us more effective at fostering countries on their journey to self-reliance. So um, the agency undertook a transformation process to align our staff and um, operations to support that mission. And as part of that, there was a work stream on knowledge management. It was broadly consultative. Uh, staff said that knowledge management is a priority. They identified several knowledge management challenges across the agency and also some recommendations. So the first recommendation was to hire a chief knowledge officer or an agency knowledge officer. And then there are a number of recommendations that go along with that position and that function. But in a nutshell, it really is aimed at making us a more effective learning organization. Excellent. Now, you had already been at USAID prior to taking on this position. Is that right? That's correct. For quite a while. <laughs> so, so tell us about that path. How did you get into knowledge management and how did you find your way to USAID? Yeah, thank you. So it was definitely a circuitous path. I got a PhD and in government and women's studies and had a tenure track position in political science and then decided that academia wasn't maybe where I could be the most effective change agent and I had an opportunity to move to East Africa. So I spent 10 years working as an independent consultant five of those in Kenya and Uganda. And so I really learned about development in that context, in working in development and development research and development programs in East Africa. Then I moved back to the U.S. and started looking for a real job, as they say. And USAID was looking for a senior knowledge management advisor to support knowledge and learning in their microenterprise development office. I think it was my interdisciplinary background that made me an attractive candidate for that position. So that's how I moved into knowledge management. And I spent about eight years developing a knowledge management and communications program in first in microenterprise development and then branching out to other parts of USAID's Economic Growth Bureau and then beyond that. Uh, so that was 2003 to 2011. In 2011, I moved to USAID's Policy Bureau, the Bureau for Policy Planning and Learning, to establish and lead the collaborating, learning, and adapting effort. So this is CLA, and it's part of USAID's program cycle. 
Excellent. So, you know, I want to go back to the beginning of that. You you began your career as a teacher, and I find that uh, a number of people that started out as teachers or professors uh, often find their way to KM. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the same thing, but any thoughts on that? Why why do you think that this this world of teaching and learning and knowledge management all fits together so nicely? I think it fits together really nicely because teachers understand the power of knowledge and knowledge managers really want to put that into play in the organizations in which we work. Excellent. So USA has a great reputation for being pretty progressive when it comes to knowledge management. Personally, I've, I've followed the agency pretty closely and, and am impressed uh, with the investment that's been made. Why do you think that is? Why is it that USAID is, frankly, really in the lead, especially within the federal space when it comes to uh, investing in KM and and really expressing the value of it? Yeah, I think there are several factors here. One is that, you know, as a geographically dispersed organization working in anywhere between 75 and 90 countries or more worldwide, so a, a number of contexts in a large number of sectors and grappling with a great deal of uncertainty, we couldn't do our work if we didn't try to manage our knowledge well. At the same time, it's it's profoundly challenging. It's, it's challenging even in simpler organizations and simpler contexts. So there is not a sense that, oh, we've figured this out. Now we're doing a good job and we don't need to invest in it anymore. I think the more that we invest and the better we get at it, the more we see the return on that as an agency. So that's one. I think another is that there are a number of us who've been working for quite a while within USAID to strengthen our knowledge and learning practices. And uh, success breeds success, really. People see the value of it and they, they extend the value of it by applying it in their, in their own contexts. People are endlessly creative within USAID. And so what we see is a really dynamic knowledge management practice and culture in the agency. And that also has driven investment in knowledge management at USAID. That said, you know, I will say as the agency knowledge officer, we can always do more with more. You know, I'm looking forward in this new role to extending that work even further. Excellent. You know, I, I loved a few of the phrases that you just used there. The return on knowledge, the talking about your colleagues seeing the value of it and extending the value of it. I, I've often held that knowledge management can't be effective unless you talk about the what's in it for me, the the outcomes of KM. So how do you best express that perhaps to one of your colleagues who isn't yet sold or doesn't understand? How do you explain the value of KM? Great question, Zach. And I find that what really works is to not start with KM, but to start with development. And so we always, you know, and we've done this for years in in the CLA practice and, and in other knowledge and learning efforts at the agency, we start with what are you trying to accomplish in terms of development? So that does two things. One is it grounds the knowledge management conversation in the purpose of the agency, And the other thing it does is it connects to people's passion. People at USAID are passionate about development. They want to do better development. And the knowledge and learning work that we do aims at making us a more effective learning organization and thereby a more effective development organization. So by connecting with 
the mission of the agency and with people's individual passion for that mission, we are already starting the conversation on terms that they understand and value. And then we can move into how can knowledge management and organizational learning support that work? Yeah, excellent. I, and you hit it on the head, right? I mean, First of all, USAID is absolutely one of those mission-oriented agencies. People go there because they believe in the mission. And so by framing the value of KM in the terms of helping them more effectively do their job, helping them complete their mission, they're they're ready to listen from day one, right? Yeah, that's right. Great. So uh, we've gotten kind of far into the conversation. I haven't yet asked one of my favorite questions. How do you define knowledge management? What is your personal definition? So that's both a good question and a tricky question for a lot of people. And I've seen a lot of people get really hung up and go down the rabbit hole of debating definitions of knowledge and knowledge management. So when people ask me that in my own organizational context, I often tell them, don't worry too much about it. Focus on what you're trying to do and how managing your knowledge can strengthen that. But I want to be a good sport. So I will take a shot at answering your question. So people often talk about uh, knowledge management having to do with people, processes, technology, governance, and culture, and how those things come together to inform and support decisions. And I think it's important to note that these are both technical and operational decisions in a way that can make an organization more effective and, for us, a way that leads to better development results. So I will say that it's also important to note that we call it knowledge management and organizational learning because we're looking at how we embed processes across an organization, not just within individual staff. And I will also say that we've always incorporated a strong element of organizational development into how we approach knowledge management at USAID, that the culture piece is really important. The relationships piece is really important. And I think that some organizations don't attend sufficiently to that. And so they find themselves encountering a lot of friction with staff instead of really tapping into that, that sense of mission and passion and, and really the whole person, helping people bring their whole selves to the work that they're doing. So there's a few keys there. One is don't fall into the trap of what's KM, what's information management, what's data management, what's organizational design. At the end of the day, if it helps you complete your mission, then do it. Yeah. And then exactly. secondly, and I and I really like this point is make it personal, right? What I just heard from you is put it in terms of what's going to help the individual develop, upskill, do their job more effectively, learn more effectively, and that's all the definition you need. Did I get that right? Yes, I think you got that right. I will also say, I think it's important to note that organizational learning sometimes comes up against things, dynamics within our organizations that leave people feeling disempowered and disengaged. Mm -hmm. And if you incorporate that organizational development aspect into knowledge management and organizational learning, and really try to alleviate the ways that people feel stressed as humans, as individuals, that can go a long way. So let me just say a little bit about what I mean by that. I think anybody would say, hey, we typically have these scheduled moments where we reflect on our programs, and then we all talk about how's it going, are we on track, and so on and so forth. Check in your organization. Is that a painful conversation? 
Is that an insightful conversation? Is that a joyful conversation? It might be all three of those, and that might be fine. But what you're looking for really is the culture of the organization and the way that the leadership sets the tone so that you're creating a sense of psychological safety, as they say in the, in the literature. I like to think of it in terms of people aren't you know, trying to hide, right? They're, <laughs> they feel acknowledged. They um, feel that they are given the benefit of the doubt. And the conversation is not about why didn't you do something differently? The conversation is about what can we learn here? And how can mm-hmm. we collectively, collaboratively make things work better? This to me is also a self-feeding beast. When you get people comfortable in that environment, they're also more likely to mentor. They're more likely to share their knowledge. They're more likely to reach out and ask questions and wave their hand when they don't have an answer. So what you're basically talking about, and sure, so it's the culture piece of KM, but you're taking the fear away yeah. uh, from from the field. That's exactly. that's excellent. Exactly. Well said. Talk to me a little bit about uh, you know those big mistakes. What what do you generally see? Not necessarily even at USAID, but in your studies and your experience, what are those big mistakes that organizations should be weary of when it comes to knowledge management and associated efforts? Yeah, well, so one of the big mistakes is not being able to talk about mistakes within your organization, right? <laughs> so people talk about failure. It's a, you know, it's a very charged word. And some people love failure fests and some people hate failure fests, but everybody agrees that you need to be able to talk about what, what doesn't go according to plan and what could have been done better. Right. So, so the learning part of that is really important. Some failures I've seen and experienced not investing the time and resources in knowledge management, expecting it to be, I like to talk about it in terms of expecting it to be people's hobby that they do on evenings and weekends instead of something that is actually intentionally staffed in an organization. For years, I used to have the experience of people pitching up at my desk saying, hey, I'm the new knowledge management person for operating unit X. I'm here for six months. I've got four other things that I'm supposed to be doing. I don't have a budget and my uh, supervisor doesn't have a lot of time for me. So right away I know, okay, this is not going to work. Right. Good luck with that one. (laughs) Right. This person is not being set up for success. So, so resourcing it is really important. Acknowledging it's importance, acknowledging that uh, here's another one, right? Acknowledging that it is actually discipline There are practices that people have figured out work. There are people who are skilled in those practices and processes. And so it's not something you should just kind of wing. You shouldn't feel like you can just make it up because a lot of people have made it up before you. And there, there really is a lot of learning out there about how to do learning effectively. So in your knowledge management and learning program, make sure you're leveraging that. That'd be sort of ironic if you're trying to do KM and you're not leveraging past knowledge, right? But it happens all the time, doesn't it? (laughs) Yes, it does. (laughs) Um, So kind of the opposite question. What are you most excited about right now? There's a lot going on in the field. Uh, There's a lot of new technology that has promise. Obviously, there's some light being shown upon this topic given the current global pandemic. What, what, What excites you about KM right now? Great question. First of all, 
not sure that government is where you go to find the, the latest cutting edge technology. However, we, like everybody else, are doing a great job of working virtually. And that is maybe less of a stretch for already, a, you know, an organization that's already ge geographically dispersed. Sure. But I think that that has really helped with a lot of knowledge management practices that have to do with how we put together agendas, how we connect people with key documents in the moment of talking about them. You know, when you're sitting around a table in, in a conference room, how many times have you had the experience of, oh, we need to look at X document, we should do it when we go back to our desks. And then of course you get smart with other stuff and you forget. So being able to work in multiple mediums at the same time, I think it, it's so simple, but it really is effective. And I think that will help our workforces long-term regardless of what happens with COVID. So I've addressed your point about uh, technology, but I'll say some other things that I think are Please um, do. Yeah. really exciting. So we have a global pandemic. This is a first for all of us who, nearly all of us who are alive right now. How we learn what's happening and how we learn how to respond to what's happening will really make or break many of the things that the we're engaged in, right? We as a collective. So I think we're in this moment where the stakes are both high and obvious in terms of knowledge management and learning. It's very clear that we collectively need to learn really quickly and that we are going to do that better if we do it together, right? So this is really, I think, a moment of truth for investing in knowledge learning, knowledge and learning. So I think that's really important. Another thing that I think is really important right now is the confluence of the discussion, mostly centered in the United States, but also taking place globally around systemic racism and around power dynamics and how that discussion intersects with this growing conversation about decolonizing aid. And what that conversation about decolonizing aid means in terms of how we define knowledge. So I think for far too long, we have grappled insufficiently with how we define knowledge and whose knowledge gets prioritized in our technical learning and also our sort of operational learning processes. I think there's a moment now where we can really begin to invest more in understanding local knowledge sources, how we can bring those local knowledge sources and those local frames of understanding to bear on our development work in ways that are beneficial for everybody. So that's one of the things that I'm really excited about right now, expanding that definition of knowledge and expanding the ways that we make use of and elevate and amplify a much broader range of knowledge than we tr traditionally have done. Oh, what an amazing way of pulling KM together with the mission of USAID and, and really drawing on both of those two elements to, to I, I, I'm, I'm speechless. That is really, really exciting work. And frankly, that's new to me. Um, really neat. So um, and I'm always happy to talk about that. So happy to talk about yeah. it if you would like. We, we'll do uh, podcast parts two, three, four, and five, and we'll follow <laughs> up on that one because I, I, I would love to hear more. Okay. Um, I've noticed, and it's even in your title, this this combination of knowledge and learning. And we talked about you being a teacher before you were a KMer. Talk to me a little bit about how you see knowledge management 
fueling learning uh, from that USAID's employee's first day uh, all the way through their career path. It does that by starting with utilization, which then goes back to why are we here, right? So you asked earlier about some failures, and one failure that I've seen a lot is this huge emphasis on pinning knowledge down, right? How are we going to capture this? Where are we going to store it? Did we document X, Y, Z? And I really like to see knowledge in motion and circulating among people and supported by the kinds of enabling conditions that help people put that knowledge into practice. And that's what I would call learning. So, you know, if it's a matter of um, storing documents in a repository, we need that and we need that to work well, but it needs to work well from the perspective of the people who need to find it and use it. If it's a matter of somebody sharing their experience with the people who are now engaged in the thing that, that they used to do, then documentation really isn't the point, but the, the conversation is the point, right? So thinking about how are we going to get better at what we're doing? What does that mean in terms of learning? What does that mean in terms of how we treat knowledge? from generating to capturing to translating to storing to sharing to utilizing or applying, you know, really thinking through the whole knowledge cycle and then thinking about all the ways that we support people to do all of those things. So there's a ton there, and it's clear you're looking at TAM from a very mature perspective. The challenge that I hear is that there are a lot of intangibles here. You're talking about equalizing the value of knowledge. You're talking about helping people learn better and act better and converse more effectively. How do you measure success? That's a good question. We worked really hard at that. And what we came up with, and this was in sort of, I feel like I'm in the, in my third moment of startup at the agency, but in my second thing that I started up, which was the the collaborating learning and adapting work, what we settled on was a framework that it was based on a, on a maturity spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. So um, we identified a holistic framework for what, is, what does organizational learning look like at USAID? And we said it breaks down into these two hemispheres, six components, 16 subcomponents. And then for each of those, we identify what does that look like on a spectrum of not yet present to institutionalized. So five different phases of maturity for each of those. So if you're developing a maturity model, you really have the basis right there for measurement. You can say, I mean, it's subjective, right? But oftentimes that is sufficient to, to understand how you improve. So you can say, well, we're, we're strong here. We're not so strong over there. We can build on these practices, but these ones are kind of weak. So that gives you one way to measure it. But the other way that we, and I won't say measured so much as assessed, what was working and how we knew was we developed a learning agenda called evidence-based for CLA. And so you can find the fruits of that at usalearninglab.org in the CLA evidence dashboard. We did literature reviews. We did case study analyses. We developed results chains. We had a learning network focused on institutionalizing learning at USAID. We had another learning network focused on developing measurement methods for how CLA contributes to organizational effectiveness and development results. We analyzed uh, survey data from the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey. So we did a lot to look at a lot of different evidence and to generate some evidence around 
how a systemic, intentional, and resourced approach to CLA supports organizational learning and better development results. Wonderful. Wow, that's fantastic. You've said we several times. May I ask, how big is the team? How many of there are you doing all this fantastic work? So that is an uncountable number, (laughs) (laughs) but I can tell you the categories of people. So for the agency knowledge management and organizational learning function, I refer to my teamlet because it's me and then I'm working on staffing up. So you can check back in in a year or so and see how successful I've been at developing a, a team for that. But there's an extended team across the agency of people who may have knowledge management in their titles or they may not, but they are doing knowledge and learning work to some degree. Now, when I was leading the CLA team and the CLA team continues, all my fabulous colleagues there, that's a pretty concise team of seven people. But uh, for five years, that team had the support of an institutional support contract with 35 people. And then there's a CLA community of practice at USAID, which is several hundred people across the agency who have opted into the CLA community of practice. So, you know, there's always the core team, right? And then the extended team. You hit on one last point, and then I promise, Stacey, I'll let you go, at least for now. You're staffing up. So what would you recommend to somebody who is interested, not just getting into KM, but getting into the wonderful mission at USAID? What are you looking for in a hire? Sure. I'm looking for people who are adaptable. I'm looking for people who understand knowledge in motion and how to support staff in uh, making decisions, technical and operational. I'm looking for people who are creative and enthusiastic. I'm looking for people who know things that I don't know. Like I'm not super strong on the technology side. I'm not super strong on the systems side. I'm stronger on the organizational learning and OD side. So that kind of compliment. But I would also say, There are so many ways to work with USAID. You don't have to work in USAID. Our business model is that we work through implementing partners who we fund to help us carry out our programs in all of these countries around the world. So that's hundreds and hundreds of organizations. So I would say keep an eye out for responsibilities in those organizations as well and figure out how to build a knowledge management emphasis in if it's not already there. If USAID is prioritizing that, then by definition, that is an advantage for the partners who also prioritize it. I hope that's excellent. It, it really is. And, and I will say, Stacey, you are really leading by example. So Stacey Young, uh, thank you very much for your time. I really enjoyed it. And, and I pleasure. learned quite a bit of new things here. So thank you very much. Um, Agency Knowledge Management and Organizational Learning Officer at USAID. Thanks again. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, Zach. You too. Thank you for listening to this episode of KnowledgeCast. To check out more information on KM, visit our website at enterprise-knowledge.com. Have a great day.